0: The views expressed on this podcast are those of the participants, not of Reuters News.
1: Be it pet care or cosmetics, specialist online retailers are firing up public markets. Joining us on the exchange is the boss of one of the biggest online sports retailers, CEO of Senior Sports United, Stefan Sol, to talk retail, special purpose bikes, and special purpose acquisition companies. to The Exchange, a podcast about business brought to you by Breaking Views, the opinion and financial commentary arm of Reuters. I'm Dasha Vanasyeva, a columnist in London. Retail has changed a lot in recent years. We've seen lots of existing brands that we already know go online, but we've also seen e-commerce-only retailers clean up. Companies like Senior Sports exemplifies that gear change. The German Company is actually a bunch of specialist sports shops targeting enthusiasts in biking, tennis, team sports, whilst also doing the back-end fulfilment of orders. Its chief executive, Stefan Sol, joins us now from Berlin. Stefan, could you explain what's special about your business model?
0: Yes, and hi, Dasha, first of all. Hello. Hello. (laughs) Hello. Yes, what's special about our business model? We are a group of sports specialist web shops, more than 100 web shops in more than 20 countries. And we're selling uh, sports equipment in the areas of uh, bike, tennis, outdoors and team sports, which is mainly soccer or football. Um, that's one part of what we do. And the second part is that we have uh, are powering these web shops through a platform that's basically the leading sports e-commerce platform. And that's powering our own shops, and the speciality is that it's not just doing that, but it's also open and, you know, third party client ready, meaning we also support third parties, which can be communities, which can be brand partners, associations in our ecosystem. And it's also a connection with offline retailers in our verticals that we connect with and that we do various services with. So that's eventually what Signa Sports United does. And uh, very, very happy to, to be here
1: great to have you Um, but why so you went the highly acquisitive route so you've actually been buying up lots of the the regional brands why have you done that why not just build out you know brands in various countries that appeal to people
0: yeah so we've basically done both right we have we're coming from a very strong growth track record from organic growth track which is 25 percent over the last three four years so we've growing our web shops you know very much organically However, the market in which we operate is very fragmented. there's many many smaller or mid-sized regional players in, in the sports world also in the sports online world so we saw very early on an opportunity to accelerate our growth by consolidating you know some of these players in our group Hence you know organic growth and inorganic growth have been the source of our, of our growth over the last
1: years and in terms of logistics, how difficult is it to integrate you know these retail lists because you're also quite kind of international. So, what's what's the process for doing that, and is it quite tricky?
0: Yeah. So, there, there's a couple of things on logistics, right? First of all, as we operate uh, as specialists, as, as I said, right. Uh, take bike for example. The typical logistics process is not just a pick, pack, and ship process, which you would see in a typical e-commerce warehouse, but it's a pick, assemble, pack, and ship process. So that means that, you know, we don't get the bikes, the full bikes that we ship to consumers, fully assembled from our suppliers. We get it in parts, delivered to our warehouse. Then in our warehouse, we basically assemble it, right? Often customized uh, to our consumers' needs. And then we ship the fully assembled bike, ready to ride, basically, to our consumers. And that's a very special expertise that we've built and automated over time. So it's a very, very good USP here for us. Hence, if we now acquire, you know, smaller bike companies, Right. We, we tend to uh, benefit or keep, or uh, plug them, if you wish, into that fulfillment system so they can benefit from that. For example, we've done that with an acquisition that's been in 2017, Pro Bike Shop out of France. They used to sell just bike parts, accessories, and, and a lot for the expert bike segment in, in the southern parts of Europe. And we have plugged them into our fulfillment operations for full bike, and hence they also now sell full bikes uh, through their website, for, for example.
1: What's also interesting is that your customers spend quite a lot on biking but they're not professional bikers. Could could you explain what kind of cyclists they are and the same for the for the other sports um you know what sort of trend for consumers does that exemplify?
0: Sure. So we do have uh, athletes obviously among our customers quite a lot, right? But as you said, rightly, uh, we also have quite a lot of amateurs, I would call them, or people that just enjoy uh, riding a bike or being active in, from a lifestyle perspective. Now, one thing that that basically uh, characterizes them uh, across our verticals is that they're very enthusiastic about those things. So um, they care for what they purchase in terms of equipment. They care for brands. They care for the service. They care for the user experience. And that's where the specialist proposition that we bring in comes in right so our consumers in bike care for a bike specific experience when they buy bikes or accessories for bikes or parts, and that's what we deliver through our bike shops. Similar to tennis, right? Our tennis enthusiasts and customers care for the services, the user experience, and everything we offer that's special for tennis, uh, and hence they come to us. In fact, we did uh, recently a study with with Boston Consulting, with the Boston Consulting Group, that consultancy. Um, and they have asked more than 16,000 consumers in the US, UK, Germany and France, and about two thirds of those have answered, you know, that they are enthusiasts about their sports and they like to buy in specialist shop versus in generalist shop, where you can, you know, not just specialize on bike or tennis or whatever, right? So that's what makes our customers special. That's what makes us special as a partner or as a channel of choice for our customers. It's the enthusiasm and the specialization that come together uh, for for a great joint experience.
1: And is that does that tell us something about society nowadays? Like do uh, presumably, reasonably affluent Europeans are they spending more and more money on being sports amateurs?
0: Yeah, so th- that study that I quoted from the Boston Consulting Group, right, they also asked for spending patterns. And if you ask consumers, what how much do they spend, for example, in bike. You know, when they buy it at a general store, right, it's about uh, 35% less than what they spend in a specialist store. So it seems like there's, you know, once uh-huh. you address the specific needs of a customer uh, in terms of sports or active lifestyle, there is a higher likelihood and a higher share of wallet or a higher spend you can benefit from as a, as a retailer. Yeah. Uh, so that's, that's what we see in our numbers.
1: Well, that's what I find, you know, covering the consumer uh, goods sector, the buzzword is health and wellness. Everyone's obsessed with it and they're willing to sort of pay over the odds for, say, vitamin companies or things like that, supplements. And yet here's a whole industry that's so much more evidence to be sort of promoting health. And, you know, we can look at your numbers to see that it's booming. And yet it doesn't seem to be one uh that lots of companies are chasing fully do you think do you think big multinationals are making the most of this sort of trend this cross between specialist and amateur data yeah
0: you know, as I said, the market is very fragmented, right? Uh, so our competitors are typically much smaller players that are also specialized in these uh, to these customer segments, and the bigger, broader multinational uh, or, or broader generalist, uh, you know, retailers are not really, right? And it's also not so easy to copy, to be honest. I mean, just take again our bike business, which is about two thirds of our total business. So 90% of the products we sell, you don't find on Amazon, for example, right? Mm. So it starts with the assortment that we carry a lot of specialist assortment that is own brands, that is special products that we get exclusive from our brand partners. That's a huge parts and accessories, specialist assortment, that's functional wear, all these things, right? So it starts there. Consumers don't get that choice, you know, at general stores typically or much, much less. Uh, goes on with delivery options i explained the fulfillment in bike for example right uh similar special specialized as well in, in our attic other categories goes on with with special services so we customize a lot of our products think of a tennis player for example right the, when they buy or when a tennis player buys his or her racket Right, the, the the key thing is to get it strung, to get it strung in the right way, and we string yeah. about a hundred thousand records a year, you know, fully customized to the individual needs of every single customer that buys a record with us, right? Who wants that stringing? So these types of services we do across uh, our portfolio of of areas and in sports categories, and they are very specific. And all of these things together, I could go on and on with other special mm. special proposition elements that we offer. But all of these things together eventually make this great user experience and a piece of mind. Shopping experience, and that's why I think it's not so easy to copy for yeah. uh, for a retail giant that's that want to sell bikes tomorrow, right? It's it's not as easy.
1: Yeah, and have you found, you know, does all of this actually create demand for new technologies? Like whilst you've been in this business, have you found that innovation on the product side? has actually ramped up because people are kind of demanding more And there i am no bike enthusiast at all but you know they're willing to pay more for you know some kind of mixed alloy frame or you know sophisticated brakes. yes
0: <laughs> yes that's massive that's massive so take your bike example right there's been a pro- I would i would say almost a proliferation of of product choices and more and more special purpose bikes, if you wish, right? I mean, it's not just the one and only bike that we used to have maybe 20, 30 years ago. You obviously have road bikes and mountain bikes, but you have so many different types of bikes for special purposes now. That's uh, that's 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 what makes the specialist proposition, right? You, you can find all, all of these things. And then the biggest trend in bike is obviously e-bikes, right? I mean, in yeah. Europe, it's been around now for not, not quite a decade, a little bit less, maybe six, seven years. And it's picking up tremendously. Mm-hmm. And it actually caters to another consumer trend that I think will become very, very important in the next years and that we that we heavily uh, kind of benefit from uh, as a company is that there's more and more, um, let's say, e-mobility disruption, we call it. So people are starting to either complement or even change their car and their mobility used on cars, right, for bikes, and especially e-bikes, because that makes it very easy to commute, for example, to work, right? Uh, That's a huge trend out there that's obviously driven by innovation, you know, smaller batteries, smaller motors, uh, all of that, right? More and more interconnectedness uh, of a bike. And that's a huge trend in Europe. And also, we believe in the U.S., because just one number, I mean, 50% of the car trips in the U.S., uh, roughly 50% are less than four miles of distance. And four miles of distance, you can easily bridge, right, in and, and regular water, regular, regular weather, easily bridge with, with an e-bike, right, without getting to sweat too much, if you wish. So, so there's, a, there's a huge potential of, the, of this trend alone to kind of change consumer behaviors right. and yeah. eventually also drive to a new, if you wish, green transportation or green mobility uh, patterns that's, that's helping many, many other causes uh, that, that we have in the world.
1: Yeah, I mean, my my experience is more on the outdoor sites, sort of shopping around for a tent and seeing that since I did, you know, did walking and hiking as a teenager, the, the, you know, the wealth of choice and the the lighter materials and the really fancy tents you can get. It's just it's quite incredible, the functionality of these objects and how how they've evolved. But I guess the the other thing that, that strikes me about how people are doing sport is that they're also being super competitive about it and using social media to to compete essentially even at this amateur level and you're yep. sort of tapping into that as well aren't you
0: yes very very true so so uh, yes uh, large parts are competitive right and if you think about uh, you know the older uh, if you wish ways of of, of channeling that competitiveness was through leagues and clubs and, you know, sometimes private clubs, you know, depending on the sports and that's still there and that still will be there, I'm sure, right? All organized by certain associations in the different industries and and, and categories. But I think there's also a, a broader wave coming of people that are creating their own communities, right? Through social media or through other digital means that are not necessarily tied to if you wish the old club that's been around for hundred years or 50 years or something right so membership patterns the way that you connect with you know similar enthusiasts about tennis about running about playing soccer in the city or in rural areas that's changing so it's becoming more and more important we believe to connect to these communities and not just to the to the old structures or to the if you wish inherent structures uh, of the associations and clubs and so on and by that we believe we can address uh, you know an even bigger or uh, at least growing number of, of people that are exploring and uh, if you wish finding sports and being active, you know, new or again to them and uh, making that part of their life.
1: Well, I, I love that. I love that people, you know, as adults especially can, you know, discover these whole new aspects of life and do lots of sport, Um, but from special purpose bikes to special purpose acquisition vehicles. I wanted to ask you about the corporate finance path that you've chosen. In particular, you have chosen to go public through a SPAC rather than just going public on your own. And I was just wondering why you chose this route.
0: Nice bridge, by the way, from (laughs) bike purpose vehicle. I think (laughs) I pulled it off, yeah. Yeah exactly. No very, very good question. So for us uh we believe that was a very good choice because we had the opportunity here to uh acquire Wiggle CSC uh which is the second largest bike retail in the world after us right? So basically the marriage between number 1 us and number 2 Wiggle CSC and do that concurrently with going public. And that opportunity was only possible through the spec route, right? So that would not have been possible through a regular IPO process. So that's a huge benefit
1: for us. And the second, why not? You would have had to do it in two chunks. You mean you would have had to first IPO, then acquire, and the timing didn't work.
0: Exactly. Well, you never know, right? I mean, uh, M&A deals, you know, are not hard to predict, right? So the timing here was, I think, very good because we could do it in parallel. And hence, you know, don't run the risk of maybe missing out for the one or the other, right? So I think that was very good. And then the second advantage of the spec route for us was that we can, this was a good way for us to enter the U.S. in terms of becoming a public company. And the U.S. is a growth market for us. We certainly are large in Europe and has a lot of more growth opportunities here in Europe. But through our latest two acquisitions uh, in the U.S., which are two tennis online retailers, uh, we, we've entered the U.S. with tennis and we intend to enter the U.S. as well in a stronger way in bike. So having a public currency in the U.S. on the New York Stock Exchange right, uh, mm-hmm. is giving us, we believe, a big entry point here and a good starting position to, to also conquer parts of that market mm-hmm. in parts of our categories.
1: Just back on this kind of timing acquisition point. You are collaborating with Ron Burkle. I think he's he's chairman as well. And is the was the idea that he kind of brought in this acquisition and brought it all together, and is therefore and also put some of his own funds in. Is that kind of the role he played in making all of this happen?
0: Uh, not quite. So Ron Burkle is the spot uh, the the spec sponsor, right? Uh, of yeah. Kiva, uh, and obviously a very very famous, very successful. Uh, businessman right Uh, with many 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 things uh, on his plate uh, in terms of mergers acquisitions also in the retail space in the sports space and in the logistics space right so a lot of expertise there with him and his teams that we can benefit from hence we believe a great partner for us uh, with him and ukaipa as a spec and he will be a shareholder, right? He also, as you know, has put in fifty million dollars of his own money into the pipe. So not just the spec of U.K.iper that he sponsored, but also his private money went into the pipe that supports the deal here. So we look very much forward to have him as a shareholder uh, in the future once we're live and once we're public.
1: The um, th- that's one of the things I didn't um, I was interested in is he he sort of put in fifty million dollars, but you know, on the post transaction ownership. He's going to own you know but I think around double that in terms of equity value how does that aspect of it work so
0: Ron Burkle will uh, be shareholder uh, you know in uh, a in his role as a spec sponsor right uh, it's part part of that and B in in, uh, in his part as a, as a pipe investor right and if you add those things together that's why you get more than uh, the percentage that you just quoted
1: uh, but as a spec sponsor you don't have to put any capital in or
0: no, no, but you okay. get this the, the sponsorship, the promote, if you wish, the sponsor promote will be in shares, right? So that's how he becomes a shareholder through the sponsor promote. And the second route is obviously his pipe investment.
1: And do you see more acquisitions on the horizon or, you know, are you set for now? No, we see more. <laughs>
0: And that's again, that's a, that's one of the rationales why going public makes a lot of sense for us now, uh, because it obviously gives us a, pub, a currency, right, that we can leverage to, to accelerate our journey here, uh, not just on the organic side, but also on the inorganic side of growth. So, as I said, the market is very fragmented. There's, uh, there's still a lot of interesting companies out there in our categories, also related categories uh, that uh, have specialized in the things we like, And that could benefit, where we could mutually benefit from connecting and from bringing it together into our group. So uh, I think you will see us acquiring more
1: uh,
0: in the near future.
1: Do you see much competition for these assets, say from private equity?
0: Not so much, uh, because obviously they are, you know, again, they're typically smaller to mid-sized companies, right, specialists in their yeah. own, and we believe it's typically still founder-driven, right, or often, right, and, mm. and uh, we have a very, very strong proposition here to take that company to the next level, ideally with the founder staying on board, right, as a minority shareholder, typically, um, so that proposition, we bring much more to the table than just money, if you wish, and typically yeah. in the interest of a founder, if he still is there, right, is to, to uh, not necessarily leave, but but get the means of growing to the next level, right? Get the capabilities, get the access to uh, to technology and to talent, and all the things we bring, uh, we can bring, you know, on top of what what a private equity equity investor could do in terms of money. So uh, very very, uh, I think, attractive for many of the of those companies out there. Hence, there's relatively little competition from from financial investors to,
1: towards that. Well, it sounds like there are lots of things to watch out for. Stefan, thank you so much for speaking with us on The Exchange. Thank you thanks, to, and see you next time.
0: Thanks, Best, thanks, thanks Bye-bye.
1: Thanks for tuning in. This podcast was produced by Oliver Taslich in London. Subscribe to The Exchange and our sister podcast, The Views Room, on ACAST, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Check us out every day at breakingviews.com and on Twitter, where our handle is at breakingviews.